This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. That's right, we are back. It is week two of the Hot Stove Show. Coming at you, Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Shannon Dreyer with us as well. And uh, Gary, great to be with you on a pretty jam-packed Hot Stove. Oh, I think we got uh, some good bases covered on the pitching side tonight, on the player side tonight, on the kind of front office side as well. We're covering all all the bases in the show this evening. Yeah, the show is almost too full. I lobbied for more time, but two hours, that's all we... That's all we have. <laughs> you did your best. You did, did your best. best. Which often is not sufficient, including tonight. <laughs> hey, let's uh, let's talk about two guys we're going to talk with in the second hour of the program. One, a very familiar name. For those who don't know, Danny Farquhar, former Mariner reliever, who like Danny is a Mariner, right? Yeah. Ended up going elsewhere, but he's a Mariner when you look at his career. He has joined the Mariners organization as a pitching strategist an assistant pitching coach and just an awesome guy to talk with. It is so great to have him back in the organization. And his journey is really interesting when he was a pitcher and now a coach and just how much things have changed, how much evolution there has been in pitching and how he was doing a lot of the things that pitchers are doing now. They just didn't know. They just weren't aware of why what he was doing was working. And in fact, he talked about arguments they would get into with coaches. It's just, it's really interesting about his journey into what he's doing now and excited to be back in a Mariners uniform. It's going to be fun to see him. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. Happy to have him back in the fold with the M's. Brant Brown is a new name to many people. He was the hitting coach for the Marlins last year, similar role years before that with the Dodgers. He's the Mariners new bench coach and offensive coordinator. He lives in Peoria. He's already down there working with a number of the guys. He's just a, a, a just a a treasure trove of baseball hitting information and just a wonderful communicator and a big personality. So he will join the program as well in the second hour. Uh, Gary, you had a chance to talk with Frankie Thon Jr., who oversees the international side of things for the Mariners. And those are uh, signings that always are kind of under the radar because no one in the States have heard of these young men when they mm-hmm. sign, but it's always great to talk to Frankie because he has just such a unique perspective on the organization and the game for that matter. Yeah. The first, I guess, wave of signings have been announced for the Mariners. And this was from the Dominican Republic. And there's a couple really interesting prospects in the mix, especially if you look at MLB pipeline or places like that, there's a couple of really well thought of guys in that mix. So we'll talk to him about that. Also, he'll give us kind of the overall view of what this signing day means. I'm not sure if every fan knows exactly the ins and outs of signing day and what it means. So it gives us a good inside look at that. It's always fun catching up with him, and it's always interesting where you end up talking to him, where in the world he happens to be when we talk to him. So he's great. There's no doubt. 
And when we come back, we have a chance to have a nice long conversation with Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. The big dumper swings by the hot stove. Tells us a little bit about his offseason, uh, a big golf trip he and some teammates went on as well, and uh, a big purchase that he has made that I think uh, solidifies adulthood. A gift for, for you? Yeah. Uh, he said that would be for next year. So <laughs> I, he's a man of his word, an honorable man, if you will, Cal Raleigh. When we come back, Cal Raleigh joins us on the Hot Stove Show. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Swing, hammered out to right field, ticketed back, back, and gone! How about another? Cal Raleigh on a historic night. His second career multi-homer game. Not only does he join that elusive and elite 20-homer club by a Mariners catcher, he goes deep not once but twice, and he blows this game open to the sixth inning. A three-run tank out to right center field. It's a 6-0 Mariners lead. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith with Shannon Dreyer, Gary Hill. And, man, it's great to be joined by one of our favorite guys. The Big Dumper is in the house, Cal Raleigh. Cal, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you guys? We're better now. <laughs> hey, uh, how's the offseason? I feel like last offseason, it was like the offseason of weddings. Like there was a lot of people who got married. What's what's been the theme of this winter for Cal? Um, I guess away from you know training and uh, lifting, all that good stuff that goes into the off season. Um, like I mentioned, I, I bought a house out in Arizona, and um, I guess right next to that would be a lot of golf. So been been doing that uh, quite a bit. So, Aaron, go ahead and tackle the house. I'll tackle the golf. Yeah, no, I think that the plays are strengths, I guess, right? Uh, Cal, do you do you feel do you feel like more of an adult now as a property owner? Uh, yeah. I mean, when you're filling out all the paperwork and you're having to change addresses, and it uh, it definitely takes a little of the excitement away. Um, but, but no, it's been great. I uh, it's uh, it's kind of weird having your own little place. You can you know set the thermostat to whatever you want and not have to you know, hear the repercussions from dad or whoever it may be. And it's kind of cool. Okay. I've heard from so many different guys when they've come to the Mariners, that they needed a place to stay. They stayed with you. Does that hold true down in Arizona too? Is it <laughs> uh, open door policy there? Yeah, it was, it was that way this year. We had tons of guys uh, kind of go in and out of the house we were staying in uh, this past season and um, kind of like a, a merry-go-round in a sense, but um this year i don't know um might have to be a, a tryout situation see see who uh who can bring the most to the table for a roommate so what makes a good roommate uh i mean i guess being clean is number one you can't have a sloppy roommate and then um you know you tack on maybe a good cook maybe somebody who can whip it up in the kitchen and hold their hold their end of the bargain there are you still the leader in the clubhouse in the cooking department? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. JP can really cook it up on the grill. Um, I've seen him do that a bunch. So he's pretty good with that. I need, I still need to get like, I want to get like a Traeger, like a smoker from my place out here and um, have some guys over in the spring and try to impress them with, with some uh, brisket or something like that. 
Have you logged the most roommate days with Logan Gilbert over the course of your career? Yeah, he's probably number one from Pro Bowl. Um, probably Logan. Yeah, definitely Logan. You know, I've had tons of roommates throughout the years through minor leagues, through even in the big leagues. So I know I lived with Tramel for a little bit, lived with Penn Murphy, Matt Festa, uh, Canzone, Cade Marlowe. Um, Penn, yeah, tons of them. So. Uh, on a one to ten scale, ten being the cleanest, where do you put Logan? <laughs> he's probably like uh uh I wouldn't say he's not the dirtiest, but he's definitely not he's not like super clean, but he's kinda he kinda gets lazy sometimes. He just he doesn't bring a lot to the table from the roommate department. Just he's just <laughs> he's just kinda he's just kinda like living <laughs> just sitting, just not really doing much. So he's a, is he a six or is he below is he below a five? No, uh, he's right, probably average. Okay, just a hard. He's just a solid five. He's just a yeah. He's just you know you know what you're gonna get. It's not he's not gonna wow you, but you know he'll surprise you every once in a while, I guess, with some below average cooking. Okay, while you're dishing on the teammates, we'll go to the golf. And I've noticed it looks like you have played a lot of golf this off season and a how good is your game right now? What have you made improvements in and B are you're chasing Kirby? Aren't you? Yeah. Um, George is really good. He didn't have the best showing in our golf trip though. This past, uh, I guess it was November. Yeah. I think we went in November, but he went, he went down in the rankings a little bit. Probably he, uh, he, uh, didn't have, he wasn't on his a game. So, but, um he's still probably the best golfer on the team i'd have to say um overall he's just he's good at everything george is really i mean it's amazing he's good at you know he picks up whatever he does really well he's just really like uh i don't know what the word is skilled he's very skilled at everything you just pick it up and you're good at it. ping pong you know, whatever it might be so you got a d dish on this november golf trip roster location yeah. Um, well, originally Paul Seawald planned it out and we, um, it was set for the season. And then uh, we had a few guys that couldn't go because of injury. And um, so we kind of had to, you know, audible and um, some of the guys that uh, ended up going weren't on, you know, with the Mariners anymore, became free agents. And, um, but it was still fun. We had a great time. It was a great group of guys, you know, from 22 and 23 season. And, um, we went to a great place in Pinehurst and it was a great, uh, great golf, uh, beautiful scenery and had a good time with the guys. So as a switch hitter, what side do you golf from the right side? Yeah. It's not really, um, you don't really see many lefty clubs. So there wasn't, you know, I didn't really pick up golf until right after college. And at that point it was just like anybody who had righty clubs, I would swing those and nobody really had lefty clubs. So. Try finding lefty clubs when you're four eleven. <laughs> and I hate the, Oh, just turn around and hit it the other way. You turn around and hit it the other way. It doesn't oh, work that way. <laughs> well, we're not talking about baseball. Uh, it was great to see you out for the winter classic. And I got to say, you look like a natural in the hockey Jersey. Are you a hockey guy? Um, I've kind of become a hockey guy ever since, you know, you know, learning about the crack and they 
kind of uh sparked my interest i'd say and um obviously got to meet um decord when i was down there and talked to him and he had the mask the, the baseball cards was really cool and um went to a playoff hockey game last year that was amazing and um it's a lot of fun to watch it and you know being from the south you know you don't there's not a lot of opportunity for you know <laughs> to go ice skating or even hockey for that matter but um I'm, you know, slowly uh, becoming a huge fan of the Kraken, and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. They were, they were on a great run, too. They won nine, nine, nine in a row, and um, they lost last night in Pittsburgh, but um, they're on a really good run. You keep in touch with Seattle in the offseason. I, I think you stop by every now and then. You're following the Kraken. Why is that important to you? Yeah, it's important. Um, you know, I, you know, it goes, it's much deeper than, you know, just baseball. You know, it's, you know, the memories and, um you know the relationships you built with people and uh, the city and the fans and um it's kind of cool to just you know go back and um I feel like it's become kind of like a second home and and uh you know I I always enjoy going back walking around the city going to games just doing things that I guess Seattle people like to do so it's uh I'm I'm learning my way around too. You know, I'm learning the east side, I'm learning north, I'm learning west Seattle. I've I've kind of found some spots and uh things I like to do, things I like to go uh see, and it's kind of cool. Cal Raleigh is our guest on the hot stove. Cal, now that you've you've been in Seattle for a while, do you have like a go-to off day activity, or is it just oh my gosh, my body hurts so much, I'm in bed? Uh, you try to find, you know, little things and you pick your spots, you know, being a catcher, you know, you can't go out and play 18 on every off day or, you know, go do, go on a hike or whatever it may be. But you kind of figure, you know, you, like you said, you pick your days of, you know, things you can do. So I like to go golf. There's tons of great golf courses up around the Seattle area. Um, I got to go salmon fishing this year on the Puget Sound. So that was a lot of fun um got to take one home and grilled it up so that was that was that was pretty cool experience and um you know I like to go I'm a big food guy so I like going to nice restaurants and or just getting good food and kind of finding you know local local hot spots or whatever as we uh, turn our attention a little bit to some more of the baseball stuff Cal it was not only just a career year for you you received MVP votes which is just awesome uh, but it was one of the great seasons by a Mariners catcher all time. Uh, when you think back and reflect on last year, now that you've had some separation, uh, what stands out to you the most about last season for you personally? Um, I think it was, you know, obviously first and foremost, it was, you know, obviously not what we want to do team-wise. You know, we didn't get to the playoffs. We didn't reach our goal. So that's the number one thing that sticks out, you know, no matter how good of a season you have personally or individually, um, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what sticks out, which kind of stinks because, you know, it was a pretty good season as far as, you know, the individual side of things, doing some things well, um, you know, it's, uh, I think coming into your second season, you hear a lot about, you know, sophomore slump, uh, can you repeat, can you, uh, uh do this do that um you know so i think it was nice to kind of come in uh last year and kind of uh 
don't know if established is the right word, but, you know, it gives me the confidence, you know, that I can come in year in, year out and know that, you know, I can play in this league and uh, that I belong. You've talked about what you need to do and what your team needs to do. I'm kind of wondering, as you get some separation from the season, does that look different? Is it more clear where you guys are? I know it was tough to end the way that it did, but how do you sit down and take a look at, you know, this is what we need to do as a group going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, you take a step back. Uh, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You take a step back away from the game, away from uh, kind of, you know, what you did that year. You get away from it. Um, and then kind of, you know, as the new year starts to to creep in, you're starting to get more back in the, in the kind of, uh, I guess, back into the the game and you start um, getting in meetings, you start uh, building programs, you start kind of building a foundation again and um, you understand what we need to do. And, you know, kind of this off season, you know, it's not really, um, we got to get back and we got to make some adjustments. And I think that we've kind of taken, take some, some steps forward as far as, um, you know, what we, what can we do internally to, to get better, to take the next step, to, get the young guys um, on the same page to get everybody on the same page of what could we do this year to, to get to the playoffs, to get to the postseason, to, to make a run. And I think that's kind of where it starts. How much of that is player driven and how much of that is, is coach driven? Well, I mean, I think you've seen, you know, we've, we've made uh, a few new hires this year um, as far as, the coaching staff, and I think that's a it's always a good thing. You know, the more um, voices you can have around, the the more people that can help out in any way possible. So, um, you know, we hired, but from both sides, it was the hitting, and then it was the the pitching side. We've added some new people and some some new faces that can bring something new to the table, and maybe that helps us win a game. So, I think we've done a good job of that, and um, you know, especially from the player side, I think. It just starts with ex expectations. So I think setting that in spring training and, uh, you know, talking to to veteran leaders on the team, JP, uh, Ty, people who have been around, uh, know what it takes to win, you know, adding Mitch Garver. So I think kind of starting there and, you know, kind of starting with the conversation with expectations and what's expected um, and kind of coming out of the gate ready to go is going to be is going to be huge, um, especially from the player side of things. You probably recognize his voice. He is Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. We'll continue our conversation with the Big Dumper right after this timeout on the hot stove. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. 1-1. Swung on. Cracked. Right field. Back is Springer. He's at the warning track looking up. It's in the seats. Cal Raleigh does it to the Blue Jays again. A 
solo smash in the sunshine here at T-Mobile Park. Cal Raleigh unloads, and the Mariners lead 1-0. It is the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Shannon Dreyer as we continue our conversation with Mariners catcher Cal Raleigh. Cal, one of those coaches you referenced, Brant Brown, he's on the program tonight. He's the Mariners' new bench coach and a new title, uh, offensive coordinator for the Mariners. He's he got a really extensive coaching background, specifically on the hitting side. Marlins hitting coach last year, had a nice long stay with the Dodgers in a similar capacity as well before that. Uh, he lives there in Peoria, so you've had a chance to work with him a little bit in advance of spring training. What's it been like working with Brant Brown? It's been great. Um, you know, I got to start working with them early December, kind of when um, I started my hitting program. And uh, he's been, you know, part of it since since the very beginning. So he, uh, I'm excited. He he brings lots of energy. He's very smart. He's very well-versed in what he says. Can really kind of break things down and uh, kind of explain and discuss in very simple, simple terms, which I think is good for baseball players. And, you know, went over tons of stuff with me as far as scouting reports, game plans, um, things along that nature. And, you know, I'm really excited. We got JD, obviously, Jared DeHart, and he does a great job as well. I think, you know, having those two guys together kind of powering and teaming up is going to be really good for the clubhouse, really good for the the hitting side of things. And I think he's going to kind of bring some uh, some freshness to the to the group. You mentioned just a second ago, starting strong. And I think on our flagship a few weeks ago, you talked about a conversation with Brant Brown, and that's a focus of him too, that you have to perhaps do things differently or look at things differently at the beginning of the season as, as hitters go. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, he's something he mentioned to me and um, something that, you know, uh, it's no secret, you know, we haven't come out and, uh, you know, guns are blazing in the past few seasons. So, I think that's going to be really important. You know, it's uh, it's a cliche statement. You know, every game matters. Game one's just as important as game 162. So I think it's going to be important for us to come out and um, find a way to win the ball game, no matter what. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how we do it. It doesn't have to be the the sexiest way to win a ball game with a, you know, walk-off home run or, you know, hitting, you know, three home runs where it may be. Maybe it's moving a runner. Maybe it's butting a guy over getting the ball in the air for sack fly. So I think, you know, finding a way to get, get the job done, whatever kind of it takes, I think that's going to be uh, kind of the key, especially early on in the season. I mean, you guys know better than anybody how the, how the ballpark plays early on. So, you know, cold weather, wind blowing in, um, you know, that roof being open. And uh, so it's going to be, going to be interesting. And I think those are going to be conversations that are had in spring training. So. How does that change in at bat for you? It's April, it's cold, it's windy. There's a guy on, on, on base as opposed yeah. to you could, you know, you are in a situation where you could take a big swing. Right. I mean, I think it's just, you know, we, you don't need to be, it's not, it's go for whatever the game calls for. You know, the game's not always going to call for a home run. Sure. Everybody would love to be the guy and hit the home run. And, but is that kind of moving the line forward? Is that helping our team? win the ball game are we you know passing the torch as you know kind of the saying goes but um it's just going to be important one through nine being kind of relentless and um not giving away at bats not finding a way to put the ball in play you know when you if we can cut those strikeouts down and put one more ball in play maybe it sneaks through a hole maybe that starts a rally maybe maybe somebody kicks a ball and that's kind of what you know gets it going then next thing you know 
guy steals a base, throwing error, whatever may happen. And those are important things that happen in ball games, and that's what winning clubs do. So we're just gonna have to find a way. And if we can kind of, like I said, one through nine, kind of make that relentless attack and just not give in, I think that'll be a huge key for us. Got a few minutes left with Cal Raleigh here on the hot stove. It's gotta feel great to have Mitch Hanniger back in a Mariners uniform. What what was your reaction when you found out that news? Yeah, I was um I was actually at T Mobile. I was skating on the ice when I found out. So I was, uh, it wasn't pretty, but I know it. Uh, Have you skated before? I've skated before and not well, but you know, I didn't hurt myself or anything, but I was, I was out on the ice. That's when I found out, um, you know, our photographer, Ben, and uh, one of the media guys, Tim came down and told me, and it was, it was kind of crazy, but you know, I'm really excited to have Mitch back. You know, he's a he's a great leader, great guy to have in the clubhouse, really good at game planning, really good at talking, hitting. You know, I think it'll be a great situation, you know, if we can get a, a healthy Mitch back in our lineup. And, you know, he's proven that he can hit in T-Mobile Park. Um, he's comfortable here. You know, he's been here before. He knows what to expect. And I know I really enjoyed having him be on the same team with him for the past two, three years. Obviously sad to see, you know, Bob go. Uh, as he was a great guy, a great leader as well. But, you know, this is kind of uh, we needed we needed the outfield uh, bat and we went out and got one. So is it as a player seeing the coming and the going and the longer you've been in the game and the more conversations you have, um, when you look at those moves, uh, how do they make sense to you? I mean, how do you process? Is it easier now than it was a couple of years ago? It's never easy losing uh, you know, first, first, foremost, friends, you know, people you build relationships with and uh, people that you, you know, go through a 162 with, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing those guys more than you see, you know, your family and uh, people away from the field. So they become kind of like family. So it's always tough when people go, but you understand it's a business. And, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to win a World Series. And, you know, we needed to cover some spots in the outfield and we went out and did that and we got a guy like I said who's has a great track record and um we know that can play here in T-Mobile and um is also a, a good clubhouse leader as well so I'm really excited I know I know the guys are as well and um it'll be it'll be fun to have him back while we're on clubhouse guys like that's a term that gets used in baseball and in no other sport Right. Like there's nobody in the NBA. You're like, oh, great locker room guy. Now, obviously, baseball, the volume of games and the volume of time that you are in the clubhouse is unmatched and unrivaled by any other sport. But when you, Cal Raleigh, think about what makes a, a great clubhouse guy, what what's a guy whose personality, whose persona makes you better off the field? Like, what are those things? What are those boxes that need to be checked that make them fit as a great clubhouse guy? Yeah, I think there's there's many boxes, uh, you know, you can kind of look at when you're looking at, you know, good when you hear that term, good clubhouse guy, um, locker room, whatever, whatever uh, term you may hear. But I think number one thing that comes to mind is just, you know, professionalism and learning, you know, learning how to be a pro coming in every day, doing your work, making sure that you're you're present in every aspect of, you know, the day. So you got meetings, you got rehab prehab stuff training room weight room cages bp 
all that stuff, making sure you're present with that, make sure you're doing the things every day that um, you need to be doing in order to stay healthy, to, to put the best product on the field every day. And I feel like that's um, being a true pro, learning things like that, understanding is something that's really important. And I thought, you know, Mitch does a great job with um, a lot of guys in our clubhouse do that as well. I think being the same guy every day, you can kind of look at that one as well. You know, not getting too high, too low. You know, you see guys will have a great game. They'll get really excited, really happy. And then, you know, they get a little too high up there. And then when they fall, they fall hard. And, you know, it's kind of like a roller coaster. You, you don't want to get too high. You don't get too low. You kind of want to stay the same. So it's a long season, 162 games. You want to kind of stay in that mindset of, you know, come to the field ready every day no matter what happens, you know, you go over four or four strikeouts or you go four for four or four home runs. You got to come back and, you know, put in the same work because, you know, baseball is a, uh, is a mean, mean game and it'll kick you right in the butt. Yeah. We've seen leadership from you. We heard about it from you even before we met you in the minor leagues and obviously things change as you come up to the majors. What has been the biggest eye opener or learning for you in the, in the majors along what you're saying right now? Yeah, I think what I what I already hit on as far as becoming a true pro and understanding, you know, it's not, you know, the the difference in, you know, minor leaguers and big leaguers physically is not that much difference or even the skill set, which is crazy to say because um, you're like, uh, you know, there's no way. But you see guys in the minor leagues all the time, you know, they can go out there, they can hit balls 450 feet, they can, you know, throw 100 miles an hour. It's not unheard of, you know. But learning to come up and learning to understand how to get your body ready, how to get your mind ready for a full 162, that's not easy. And especially when you're doing it in front of 40,000 people and people are putting expectations on you and you're getting pulled this way and you're getting pulled that way from, you know, maybe it's family, friends, media, coaches, uh, whoever it may be. And you're just learning, you know, how to deal with it, how to, you know, go about your day how to make sure that you're balancing each one of those things. And um, while also getting yourself ready to have peak performance at seven o'clock. So it's not easy. It's, it's really not, you're getting, like I said, it's, it's a lot of stuff and it's not just physical. It's a lot of mental things and a lot of, a lot of things that you have to go through and learn. And, but, you know, once you can kind of hone that in and understand what you need to do to, like I said, get ready to play every single day, then it becomes a little, uh, a little less uh, stressful. Cal, this has been awesome catching up with you. We really appreciate the time. We know you've got some original art to hang in your new home. Uh, maybe some outdoor landscaping, a cacti or two to put on the ground. Yeah, a, a, pool, a pool to skim. Do you have a pool? Do you have a pool at the new place? I do. I got a got a nice little pool. It's uh, salt water and uh, it's a little cold right now, but nice little polar plunge, if you will. Uh, saltwater pool man that's a big league pool i don't know anything about pools but that's like that's a next level pool i didn't even find that out till after i bought the house <laughs> probably should probably should have asked that before i guess cal it's awesome being with you man thank you so much for the time yeah thanks for having me on that's mariners catcher cal raleigh we've got more coming right up on the hot stove the hot stove show on seattle sports presented by hatback bar and grill all right, welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Is a 
big, big day in the baseball calendar just passed. It's International Signing Day, and we are happy to bring onto the show the Mariners Director of International Amateur Scouting, Frankie Thon Jr., is with us. Frankie, thanks for taking all the time, and what is your busiest time of year? Where do we find you at tonight? Yeah, no James Bond or, or Mission Impossible secrecy this year. I'm in the Dominican Republic currently. And uh, no, thank you. Just happy to be on here. I just really appreciate you having me back on the show. So before we kind of dive into the signings, for fans who may be vaguely familiar with International Signing Day, can you just give a quick thumbnail of kind of the mechanics of this day and what this day means? Yes, yeah, as, as we referenced before, this is a really joyful time of the year for us as a department. It's a really busy couple of days for sure, but we embrace it because of everything that it means. Uh, you're not only signing international players at the age of 16 as when international players are eligible to sign across the world with the exception of Asia, which is 18, but you're helping players and their families make their, make their dreams come true, really. And, and you get to witness that very tangible moment when they realize both the player and the family that this is no longer the idea of playing pro ball is no longer this far away idea, but rather a reality for them. And it's a beautiful thing. And every year you see players kind of fall into their parents and into their mom or their dad's arms. And, and you get to witness that moment. And, and it's a realization and a reminder of why we love this job. Well, you announced eight signings yesterday, all out of the Dominican Republic. There's a couple guys specifically that I want to talk to you about. And one of them is a shortstop, Dal Joseph, who consensus-wise, you look at Pipeline, you look at everywhere else, seems to be pretty highly thought of. Tell us about the newest shortstop in the organization. Yeah, that has been a pretty famous name for a while now within the international baseball world. Uh, we've been following him for roughly around three years. Uh, he's a right-hand hitting shortstop, presently right around six foot two and 170, 175 pounds. Now, obviously, a lot can happen in three years. So in his case, when we first kind of started evaluating him or watching him, he was around five foot ten. He was real lean and long. He could absolutely fly, just top of the scale speed. Um, it was more of a contact hitter, and we weren't quite sure if he fit more as an outfielder or as an infielder. You fast forward three years later, and now he's four inches taller, significantly more physical, not nearly <clears throat> not nearly as fast at top of the scale speed as he was before. But now there's a lot more body control. There's better hands at shortstop. Um, it's more of a power-hitting offensive profile than it was before, and, and you're really bringing in a physical-plus athlete who plays a position up the middle, and, and just as importantly, or more importantly, he can really control the zone with a simple swing and projectable power. So those are a lot of things that we really value and appreciate as an organization. And in terms of personality, very mild-mannered, very soft-spoken, but he, he kind of walks around with this, this kind of confident air about him, um, he's got an aura about him, just, not just because of his size and his stature, but just the way that he just kind of, kind of carries himself. And if you look at the pic some of the pictures of him, he's got a Hollywood smile. So he's <laughs> somebody that we're really, really pumped about bringing into the organization. Tell us about Leandro Romero, who also seems to be uh, on a number of lists. So Leandro, it was a different path for him, for sure. Romero was not nearly as famous or really wasn't famous at all, and kind of within the baseball circuit early on in his kind of amateur career. He was actually a catcher to begin with. He wasn't all that physical. He wasn't an, an impactful athlete. But he always showed a good arm. And then all of a sudden, um, it took him a little while longer. It, it was probably about a year ago, uh, whereas Dow just started showing all these tools three years ago. Uh, it was about a year ago where Leandro Romero kind of made a leap in terms of his tools and physical abilities. 
And now he's he's this really athletic-looking six-foot infielder with really twitchy, aggressive actions, a combination of plus speed and power. He's not nearly as polished or as smooth or or as mature in his game as Dowell. This style of play is more kind of inconsistent and and explosive, but um, a little bit erratic, if we will. Mm. Um, So he's a little bit further behind in his development curve, but as a player with a really high ceiling who maybe needs a little bit more TLC and patience, but the payoff could be huge with him. So personality, it's also really different, whereas Dowell is very, again, very kind of mild minor and and soft-spoken. Romero is this kind of engaging, high-energy, jovial, enthusiastic kid. So, um, again, two very different players on and off the field, but excited about both of them. What does it look like now that they're in the organization? Where do they start? You know, if if you look back all the way through, even super impactful players, um, Julio, Naomi Marte, Gabby Gonzalez, Lázaro Montes, Michael Arroy, and Felny, obviously the plan with him this year was we've never skipped players They've always played the DSL. Um, you know, every organization is different, but we feel internally, regardless of your talent level, we do not skip the DSL for cultural reasons, educational reasons, just a bunch of factors that we may not go into right now. But what we feel it is more important for Latin American players to go through the DSL season and the DSL training, more so than maybe even the Arizona one um, for their case specifically. So for every player that we sign, unless we're talking about perhaps if we ever sign sort of a high school kid out of, out of Asia, right. Or a college kid out of Asia, that would be a different scenario. But if we're talking about Latin American kids, regardless of how highly ranked they are, regardless of their talent level, regardless of how advanced it may be, they will always go through the PFL. It's gotta be pretty exciting for you. You've been at this a number of years now with the Mariners. And now if, I don't know, you bring up pipelines, top 30 for the Mariners. Uh, your fingerprints are all over it. Uh, you mentioned a couple of the names a moment ago with Arroyo and Gonzalez, uh, guys that you signed in this position. Who are some of the guys that you are really excited about as you've watched kind of move through the system that you had a hand in signing? It, it was really, it was huge to fill. Again, we're talking about coming in after Julio and all be right. And, and so there's obviously a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure that comes with that. Mm. I think we're in a solid spot in terms of how several of the other players that you mentioned have gone out and kind of played after the, after their signing dates. In terms of pure on-field performance, compared to the rest of their signing class, the other date that they signed, like Gabby Gonzalez is one of the top ten performers for his signing class, and that's three years into playing. Lázaro Ramonte is also one of the top ten players in his signing class. Michael Arroyo is top 25. Um, if there's 50 teams in the DSL, there's roughly 20 pitchers per team. We're talking about a thousand pitchers in the DSL last year, and Jeter Martinez was without a doubt one of the top five, arguably one of the top three. He had a great year, was an MVP of the All Star game. And then you also look at a couple of under the radar guys like uh, Luis Suisbell and Ricardo Cova and Derby Ventura, who, who kind of stepped up and kind of made the march on their own. So I think. We'll see. Obviously, you hope that it's sustainable year in, year out. There's different challenges with each level, but so far I think the returns have been pretty positive. We're visiting with Frankie Thon Jr., the Mariners Director of International Scouting. Who are a couple other names that fans should be aware of from this Dominican class that you're announcing? I think one guy who, who kind of is under the radar right now is Anderson Jimenez. He's a right-handed pitcher from the northern region of the DR. It's a strong six-foot frame. He kind of takes off a lot of the boxes of what you're looking for in a pitcher, of a young pitcher, right? In terms of being having an athletic delivery, it's a quick arm. He's an easy mover. 
you got a lot of guys who throw hard out of the Dominican Republic, but in this case, he has a deceptive fastball. He throws from a lower kind of release point, and it really plays up. It makes it difficult for the hitters to hit. He spins a plus breaking ball. Um, as with any other young young Latin American arm, like the strike throwing will kind of determine his path, the immediate impact, how quickly he moves through the system, eventually what role he plays in the big leagues. But he's one Anderson Jimenez again who I would keep an eye on. Hmm. Who are some of the people on a day like this where, you know, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see all the hours and hours of watching them play. And as you've kind of referenced already, you know, you have watched some of these players for years and you've had scouts watching for years. Who are some of the people that you've really leaned on to help make a day like this happen? It's a point of pride to say that it, that isn't just the case. Within the international department, I think we're one of, and I, will, I wouldn't say we're the only organization that does this, but I think we do it as well as anybody, where it really does involve much like the international draft, where you hear Scott Hunter mention the analytics team, you mentioned Scott Hunter, uh, mentioned the player development, you, you, mean, you hear him say um, high performance, you, you even mentioned the international scout to help him out. It's very much the same way in our, in our case. So we're talking about not just naming the Carlos Gomez of the world, who's been a director with other clubs. Uh, Kevin Fox has done kind of every single department you can possibly do that flies all over the place. David Brito and Otto, Otto Vicente help us out all across Latin America. But again, we're talking about cross-checkers from the draft who help us out, who cross over and help us out with, with young players. And we really lean on on the on the feedback and the opinion of people within the player, the, uh, player development parts and the high-performance parts. We kind of piece it all together and, and come to a better decision. So mm. again, it, it's something that's it takes a village. It's a collaborative effort, and we're really proud of that. And this won't be the only announcement, right? This is the first announcement specifically to the Dominican Republic. We expect to see uh, another wave or two of uh, more players coming into the system? Correct. This is the first wave of a handful of signing days for us in the next two weeks. So we're, we're spreading out the signing days across three or four days by regions and countries, so there will be more players to come. This was by no means a reflection of any sort of strategy or, or a reflection of where the market is at. For us, it's just simply we're spreading out the signings so we don't have to you know, sign 15 or 20 players in one day and, and kind of give, give each region kind of their own highlight, right? So there will be more days where we'll announce players from both uh, Venezuela and the rest of Latin America. All right. Well, congratulations on the first class. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon after the next uh, signings. It's always great to talk. Frankie, thanks so much. We appreciate it. No, really looking forward to the next couple of weeks for us. And again, just thank you again for the invite. Always a good time. There it is. Frankie Thon Jr., the Mariners Director of International Amateur Scouting. We'll come back. We're going to talk to newest bench coach and offensive coordinator, Brant Brown. We'll do that as the show continues. Hot stove. More to come right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. 
Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And we're joined by one of the newest members of the Mariners coaching staff, a guy who has uh, been with the org before in the minor leagues and now is in the big league dugout. It is Brant Brown, who is the Mariners' new bench coach and offensive coordinator. Brant, it's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Hot Stove. Hey, it's great to be here. Hey, this is uh, this is stint number two for you within the org. You, you had a, a nice run a while back in the minor leagues, uh, working with outfielders and working with the hitters. Uh, what made this the right time for you to come back to the Mariners? You, you were in Miami. You were with the Dodgers before that. But what made this a, a good fit for you? Um, well, first off, I think, you know, Seattle's always been a place of destination for me. Um, just being over here the first time and obviously going through the regime change and then, you know, Jerry and Scotty and Andy coming over here, who I was very familiar with with Scotty. Um, but just like, just the way it fits for me and the people in the group, the quality of those people, uh, it's important for me. And uh, this situation just kind of came about as it often does, um, you know, with Voight going to, you know, Cleveland and kind of maybe the role that Voight was going to be in. Um, Scotty and I always talk. Um, we've been friends for a long time and just, you know, kind of after that fact, you know, this kind of situation like came about and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this. I couldn't be more excited to, to go come over here and try to get Seattle a parade downtown and just help in whatever ways that I can possibly, you know, I know like it's a, it's kind of a hyphenated role. Um, but then also like, I know that titles don't define us, but professionally, you know, not just being typecast as an offensive guy, which I've been, you know, for the past six years. Um, so like, I'm always looking to grow. I'm always looking to get better. And hopefully when I do that, I can pass that along to the players and the team and other people that are around me. You spent an entire year in the minors with Aaron Goldsmith. How much concern with you taking this job was there knowing you would see Aaron again every single day? I mean, that was the contributing factor of me coming to Seattle. <laughs> you know, Gold, Goldie and I have a lot of trips in the Texas League, you know, watching different types of shows, trying to provide, you know, entertainment, which you know, one, it's going to be cold on the bus. Right, Goldie? Two, so cold. So cold. Yeah. Two, when they talk, you're not going to be able to hear it. But when there's any action, it's going to be super loud. So which which one do you do you want to prefer? You know, do you want to hear the talking or do you not want to hear when, you know, things get a little wild? Well, uh, since Gary took us down this path, I've Brownie, I've told many people this. Nobody, no coach treated me better during my time in the minor leagues than Brant Brown. And it's and there's not a close second. Uh, so I was thrilled to see you come back, not only because of what you offer to the ball club. And I know your background and I know how much you care and how good you are at what you do. But just as a personal all-time favorite, I'm, I'm really pumped you're part of the Mariners again. Yeah, well, I'm just really pumped that I get to see Goldie every single day. Like, that's just really <laughs> – that was it, you know? Just give me that and where do I sign? That's right. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised this isn't used as a free agent recruiting pitch more often. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, hey, we've seen this term offensive coordinator used a little bit actually in recent years. Not a ton, but a few teams. What does that mean to you? For for me, it, it basically means that 
come in, provide some perspective, use my experience, and basically like break break the glass where things need to be improved. Um, it's not taking over. It's not being a boss. It's basically using what I've done in the past and what has worked and with two different teams, you know, one with LA, one with Miami, which were like totally different skill sets, totally different environments, but like use those experiences to help what Seattle can use to get better. I look at hitting right now and I don't think it's ever been as difficult as it is right now in the game. You look at the just pure stuff that every pitching staff has every single game. What kind of things can you do now to try and combat just the pure stuff that hitters are seeing day after day after day? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Like I know that if we were playing today that we probably get used to it because like we've seen it so many times but like even i'm when i'm game planning or i'm watching a game i'm just like that like how do you how do you do that you know um but i think you know the game has evolved um obviously the way we train has evolved you know we can use things to mimic pitch characteristics um there are certain things that you can do against certain characteristics um to allow you to hit it but i think you know, first and foremost, the, the big message is it's not what the pitcher is trying to do to you. It's what are you trying to do to the pitcher? Second is like, is there a situation that needs to get done to help us win that changes what you're trying to do? And then three is we don't know which run in the game is going to win the game. So like, even though that all pitches aren't created equal, like all runs are created equal. So we have to understand that at the end of the day is you have to know where you're at in the count. You have to understand is like, as you get into deficit counts, like the, the slug goes down and the chase goes up. So we have to modify our intent to where we are at the, in the at bat, where we are in the game. And like everything needs to be tapered towards a letter, which is a W instead of a number. What do you mean by that? So everyone chases numbers. I get that. The game pays them on numbers. Uh, we quantify things on numbers. But the biggest thing that we can do is a letter, which is a W. So whatever it takes to win, whatever it takes to win that at bat, win that game. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Like that. That's what it's about. It's about. It's it's a we format. It's it's all about the W and what is the game asking for. Is there something that I can do to either one, get on base and then get closer to home plate, pass the baton, like just stay within myself and know that there are eight other guys that are all doing the same thing, that if we all do that, we'll have a pretty good opportunity to win this game. We're joined by Brant Brown. He's the Mariners' new bench coach and offensive coordinator. You're a former big league teammate with Scott Service. What you got, Brownie? Tell us a little Scott Service back in the day. Well, I mean, he was my locker mate um, in Chicago. He took his job very seriously, if that does not surprise you. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing I remember from Scotty was that we, it was in 97, the Cubs were like 0-13. You know, we, we played like Atlanta and Florida back to back to back to back. 
and they were both really good teams. We were in New York and they made a switch. So I got sent down. Brooks Kishner got called up and I, you know, it was what it was. I, I wasn't too upset. Like I pretty much, you could kind of see it coming. Like they needed a change. Um, it was the first time that I was out in the outfield going from first base, but like Scotty took me out to dinner that night. We had a rain rain out. So he took me out to dinner that night and was just a friend. Um, and then the next day I went down, but we always had talks, you know, like I would try to to lighten up his day, even when like he was taking things as serious as he does um, on the catching side. So it's kind of always worked back and forth. Um, and I think just the personalities um, you know, we really blend well because, you know, even from that moment on and from every moment since, like when he asked me a question, like he knows he's going to get the truth out of me. Um, now, whether or not he likes that particular answer of truth, uh, at least he knows like, you know, he's getting like my true thoughts and my true opinion. Yeah. What do you think the relationship will look like in game as the bench coach? How do you see that role as you move into this season? Well, obviously, right, like helping Scotty with, you know, before the game, creating good matchups for our players, understanding like when those situations are going to arise, um, which I've been doing on the hitting side for years. You know, like, you know, your hitter strengths, um, you know what they're good at, you know, who's hot, you know, who's not, you know, what pitchers they're going to be able to provide a better at bat versus um, and then obviously like weighing out the defensive perspective on that, you know, if you take somebody out early, you know, like, is that a good strategy? Because later on in the game, the guy that you pinched hit for or four, he'd actually come up again. So like, is it a good or bad matchup the second time around? Um, and then also just like going through the bullpen, understanding who's available, who can we use tonight? Who do we use in what situations? And it's basically just kind of being his co-pilot, um, help his blind spots out, um, on how we're going to navigate the game, whether, you know, we're down, we're up, we're even. Um, and then from that point, communicating to those guys on the bench, you know, making sure that they're not being ambushed and they're sweaty and ready uh, for when we call upon them and taking that bat. We're talking with new Mariners bench coach and offensive coordinator, Brant Brown. We'll continue this conversation after a quick timeout. You're listening to the Hot Stove Show. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. The Hot Stove Show rolls along. We continue our conversation with one of the newest members of the Mariners coaching staff. He is Brant Brown, the Mariners' new bench coach and offensive coordinator. There's a lot for you to get caught up on, Brownie. I mean, you're you're learning a bunch of hitters on the fly. You live in Peoria. You're just right down the road from the complex, which is great. Tell us kind of the process for you as you get to know each player individually and how you try to take a big bite out of what would seem like a very daunting task. Yeah. I mean, fortunately we, we have a really good hitting coach and Jared DeHart, really smart young hitting coach uh, who knows his stuff. And then we just hired Tommy Joseph as the assistant hitting coach who is also really smart, great personality. You know, I'm looking forward to, to help guiding him to, to be the best that he can be. But, you know, I, I've been doing it for a few years. So, you know, I've already talked with most of the players, got their thoughts on, you know, what we need to do to get better. And then I take my own little data drives on what all of our hitters are good at, what they're not good at, what pitches they, they hit better. Um, are they aggressive? 
do they chase like what types of hitters they are? Cause I think when you're making up a lineup, like you need to have like a diverse group um, of, you know, guys that have certain superpowers because it really helps when you're facing different pitchers and different pitch characteristics on each and every night contend with those pitchers. If you have a, a good diverse group that are good at different things yet good together, if you put them there and knowing which guys are going to have to fight, which guys match up really good. Um, it just puts you in better places throughout the game and gives you more of an opportunity to win more ball games. When you look at hitting and when you have success improving on a hitter, how much can it be mechanical? How much is it usually mental when you break down a hitter? What, what at this level, what is it usually the thing that pushes them across? I think hitting's gone many different ways and I've been around for a lot of them. You know, obviously now we use a lot of data and metrics um, to help, but I think first and foremost, all hitters are going to be a tad bit crazy because the amount of failure that's involved to be successful when you're hitting. Second is learn or having a player learn how their body moves is a really important aspect because sometimes hitters are trying to do things, but maybe they just possibly can't do it because their body's not built that way. Hmm. So if, if you know that your body prefers its gas in a certain way, it's much easier to do it. And you know it because it just feels better. And then you teach them about that, you know, and also you teach them about their own weaknesses because before you can attack an enemy's weaknesses, like you better know your own. So like a combination of one understanding that we are going to fail, right? We're going to fail, but like, did we have the right intent? And were we trying to do the right thing? Like, it's basically like good outs versus bad outs, you know? And then second is like, learn about yourself. Because if you know how you do things better and you know that this is where they're probably going to throw you, you'll probably have a better strategy and it'll keep you more in line because there's no way that in this game, and you spoke of it earlier, is like the stuff that's being thrown out there on a nightly basis it's like playing wiffle ball. So like, I don't expect our hitters for every one of their swings to be in the box. I do not. But what I do expect is for when they do chase a pitch out of the box, I want it to be in one area. And that area should be to their strength because those, those are creating conditions that one, like it's very feasible and you can do it Two is if you swing outside of the box, it's something that you, you might be able to hit. And three, you can't practice perfection in a game or a task that's not going to be perfect. But you can handle it doing it the way that you want to do it, not the way they want you to do it. The Mariners faced your former team last year, of course, the Marlins. And as you take on this more of a, a bench role, a bench coach role for the Mariners, I mean, take us back to what you were thinking last year when you were looking at that series from a hitter's perspective going against the Mariners pitching staff, uh, that must have been one of the intriguing things for you to come to Seattle to be a part of a, a team that has that type of pitching. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously um, a really strong area um, that we have. The one thing that I want to pass along to our hitters is like, I don't want them to count on that. I want us to do our job 
And if they go out and shove, great. But I don't, I don't want us to count on that because you see it all the time. Like these ace pitchers go out there and they get like one or two runs of, you know, of support because I think in the back of the hitters or the offensive mind, it's like, okay, well, he's not going to give up any runs. Like I, I don't want us to think that way. I want us to go out and do our job each and every night. When Miami came to Seattle, I was upset that we couldn't get Miller or Kirby's fastballs down, even though we were trying to, because like they are, you know, they've got a lot of ride on it. We did a good job off of Castillo. I was, I was very surprised with that, but at the same time, like we executed, but like, the one good thing about having good pitching is that it can keep you in games each and every night. But I, like I said, like I am going to stress the pitching doesn't matter. Like they're going to do their job. Like we've got to hold up our side of the street. We got to keep it clean. You know, we got to take care of, you know, our side of the rink, do our jobs and like make it easier on them, not vice versa. Like it's a team. So some nights they may make it easier on us, but like some nights we need to make it easier on them. What have your been impressions on Julio Rodriguez from afar? JD was just out in Florida um, today, matter of fact, uh, spoke with him. And, you know, his drive this offseason has been impressive. You know, he's a really smart individual. He gets it. He's, he's very aware. And just like his mental focus coming into this year, the way he's going about his work, the changes that he wants to make just as, as a human being, as a character, as a teammate, um, they're all pointing in really good directions. So, like, I'm super excited to to get to know him better. I'm super excited, hopefully, to to be able to guide him in certain situations, knowing that if we do things the right way, no one has to be a hero. You know, you're going to hit for the hive. No one has to be a hero. And I think sometimes all hitters get themselves in trouble because they think they have to do too much in those moments to where, you know, he is a very – feared hitter in this league so like he's gonna get every pitch in the book and like sometimes the best thing that he can do is take the walk and pass the baton and let the next guy do his job we've got a few minutes left with Brant brown he's the mariner's new bench coach and offensive coordinator brownie are you the fittest coach in major league baseball no i mean i would say a few years ago i would i would be in that bucket but like gravity's starting to beat me goldie <laughs> you know like i'll be 53 in june um you know i i still i still go and do my stuff it's like it's i you know it's really like it's important to me to do my hour of fitness you know I, i'm more into crossfit i like i like to throw stuff around i've had to modify a few things because of past injuries but it's my one hour where i just don't think about baseball and then it just helps me think about baseball for the rest of the day. Hmm. Um, but I try to do it as much as I can. The funny thing is, is like when we're, when we're warming up and we're doing things with bands and like things of nature, like I'm always like acting like a hitter to see if it'll help. So I guess I don't, <laughs> I don't exactly all throw it out, but uh, I, I still exercise. I love to exercise. I always have, you know, always have like, I don't think I'll take up golf. Like I'm horrible at it. It's expensive. This is much cheaper and easier for me, you know, as a hobby. But I do appreciate that thought, Goldie. That's, you know, brings a tear to the eye. Well, you, the jawline is still fantastic. Do you have a protein goal every day, Brownie? Are we going for like a gram per body weight, per pound? Are we, anything there? Are we tracking these macros? As every day? much as possible. 
as much as possible via shake, via food. Get that, get that in you, and let the body just soak it up. And you know, people need to know this. You are, um, I think, you might be one of the most uh, tidy, organized people, not just in baseball, but in any profession. Do you still travel with a laminator? Well, we call it high standards, Goldie. I have high standards. <laughs> um, but no, like the good thing about being in the big leagues is that they have laminators and label makers at your disposal. So I don't have to, I don't have to put it on the bus in a crate anymore. Um, but I will, you know, so like something that people don't know is I will travel with my own pillow and weighted blanket. Yes. See, Gary and I, Gary and I travel with our own pillow as well, but the weighted blanket, I mean, that's your workout that's right there. Level. You know, yeah, well, I, I try to get the lighter one. Cause if not, it makes the suitcase a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more of a task. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, and you got to tip more, but, uh, when you're playing during a regular season, like sleep is important. I'm a horrible sleeper as it is. So anything that helps me get my seven hours, um, I am going to do. It's our first weighted blanket reference, Gary. We've had on the I love program. It. Yeah. I love it. That I feel like that's next level. I mean, that I is. thought the pillow was pretty smart, but there's just, like there's this. something about weight and it's on you. It's just like, just sinks you in and it's just night and night, you know, <laughs> Got to be honest, on a 10, 10, 12-day trip, that seems tricky to fit that into the bag. But Oh, but see, like, this is this is where my tightness comes in. I'm an excellent folder and packer. <laughs> so uh, I manage it with without effort. Yeah. I mean, you're a packing cube guy, right? I've got packing cubes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Figured, figured that'd be the case. Yeah, just put them in, bring them out. Done. <laughs> Brownie, this has been wonderful. We're we're really happy to have you aboard, and it's it's really very gracious of you to spend so much time with us, and uh, we're excited to see what the season holds. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime, gentlemen. I appreciate it. That is Brant Brown. We've got more coming up on the hot stove. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Two balls, two strikes. A runner on. Tying run at the plate. Here's the pitch. Strike three. Called. Fools him. That was a cutter searing the outside corner. Getting the black at 90 miles per hour. Swihart couldn't pull the trigger. Down he goes. One down here in the 12th inning. Big punch out there for Farquhar. Well, welcome back to the hot stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreher here as we welcome in a very good friend, Danny Farquhar, former Mariners pitcher, now back in the organization, new pitching strategist, assistant pitching coach. Danny, it's great to talk to you again. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be back uh, with the Mariners. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be back in a Mariners uniform? You know, it's one of those one of those things that you always have those those fond memories of of the former teams, and Seattle was one of them. Um, coming over in the trade in 2012 and um, spending three and a half years with them, um, they definitely hold a special place in my heart, and I'm happy to be you know going back to the to the Northwest. 
Danny, we followed you since you left, and it's been very quickly how you've gone from player to coach, and now all of a sudden a major league coach. That's got to be a bit of a thrill to have that on your name and to get back on the good planes. But my my question is, is you know, how how did you come across the Mariners' radar, or how did what they have available come across your radar? Um, so it was one of those things that um, you know I, I reached out to Jerry. Jerry and I, he, he was I, I was actually his first trade um when when he jumped on board uh with seattle uh so that was the last conversation that we had and um i reached out to him um to see if there was any opportunities and we had a we had a great conversation and and the ball got rolling there and um i had a lot a lot of different conversations with uh other people in the organization um and they all just thought i was the right fit um for for the job pitching has I'm not going to say it's changed, but how it's studied, uh, how pitchers are improved, uh, everything that's known with the numbers and not just uh, of the results, but biomechanically and everything else that has evolved. How much has it changed since you first picked up a, a baseball and, and put on an organizational jersey? I mean, the pitching aspect has changed night and day, even from from when I was still playing in 2019, like and and what we know now. And how it's coached, I mean, it is absolutely night and day. Um, and you always wonder, like, you know, when when I was a player, like, would I have been able to throw a little bit harder? Would I have been able to develop, you know, the sweeper? Like, would I have been able to, you know, improve in certain aspects of it? But I don't know. You never know. Like, I was throwing the high fastball before people knew about the high fastball. And nobody was practicing to hit the high fastball. Um, now, you know, you look at the cages and all these, you know, they got all these devices and all these machines that are training to hit the high heater. So it, you, you don't know, but it is absolutely night and day. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where as a coach, you have to continue to grow. You have to continue to learn. And I would bet that in five to 10 years from now, like it's even going to be, you know, different than what, what it is right now. Um, so just having that, that mindset to, to want to continue to grow you know, is a cool attribute. As a player, what was your relationship like with numbers? So it was one of those things that when I was playing, obviously early in my career, it was all about, you know, throwing your fastball down in the zone. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I specifically remember getting to a lot of, of disagreements um, with coaches about, you know, throwing the fastball high. I'd be like, Hey, every time I throw my fastball high, I get a swing and a miss. And they're like, you're getting lucky. And I'm like, it, it can't be luck. It can't be. It happens almost every time. It's either like a foul ball, a pop-up, or they swing and miss. And, you know, so it was one of those things that I would have just the catcher set up down and I would intentionally miss up because I knew, and I'd be like, oh, I missed my spot. You know, even though I was aiming, I was trying to throw it high. It was one of those things that, you know, I just did it because I knew it was successful, even though maybe it was against, you know, kind of the the team motto, um, you know, and then and then I, I got traded over to the Rays uh, in 20 in the fall of 2015. So I got to play f with them for a year and a half. And, you know, they kind of opened my eyes on that avenue of of the uh, pitching analytics um, and that sort of stuff. And it was just, and, and they were still in like infancy of it. Mm -hmm. um, it was still like at the beginning stages of, of understanding all that stuff. Um, and then from there on out, I was, I was all in, I was, I wanted to learn as much as I could. 
when I got there. And then when I left, I just wanted to continue to, to understand why things happen, not just be like, I don't, you know, not have a reason for anything. What was that like to walk in there and have all that presented to you? I was so thankful. I was just like, finally, somebody's on my side. Somebody's not just telling me I'm getting lucky. And it was, it was nice to just like not feel crazy. <laughs> We're visiting with former Mariner and now pitching strategist, assistant pitching coach, Danny Farquhar. If somebody asked you what your pitching philosophy is, what would you say? I would say to, to sum it all up, Every individual is different. People work differently. Their bodies work differently. You have to, you know, figure out what each pitcher does best, what's comfortable, and make the most out of each pitcher. With that, you have to have an open line of communication with the pitchers. You have to have a great relationship. So you're able to ask them to do stuff. Um, maybe something's a little more uncomfortable out of their, out of their, you know, out of their sweet spot. But if you have that relationship with them, they'll trust you and understand that their success, their well-being is 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 what you're trying to do. You're not trying to benefit yourself. You're trying to help them in their career. So I, I think that's kind of my strong suit is building those relationships, um, explaining to them why they need to do certain things and how it's going to make them better, and then teaching them those things. But yeah, just trying to get the most out of each individual, you know, whether if, you know, whether if it's a four seam fastball, a sinker, you know, throwing both of them, you know, cutter, whatever the pitch is, just trying to get the most out of each individual um, and not like kind of make it like you have to pitch this way. This is the only way. So just kind of working with the player. Danny, when did you kind of get the feeling, hey, I would like to be a pitching coach someday. I would like to coach. Um, I would say... I mean, even when I was a player, I enjoyed helping out my teammates with with whatever it was. I would say like when I was playing in the big leagues, I, I knew that I wanted to continue the baseball life. I love the base. Like I just I just enjoy, you know, being in the dugout, you know, the travel with the travel with the guys. Um, it's just it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a fun industry to be part of. Um, you know, and it's very fulfilling now as a coach to be able to kind of bring your knowledge, bring your experiences um, to the players. And, you know, I've had I've had guys go up to the major leagues when I was with the White Sox and just that text message, you know, hey, thank you, Danny. I appreciate, you know, everything you did for me. I wouldn't be here without you. It's just like, yes, like so that that point of the job is like very fulfilling and but I would say pretty early on, I I knew I wanted to continue coaching. Who had most influence in kind of shaping you along those lines, uh, be it another teammate or a couple teammates, be it coaches? Who, who who do you kind of carry with you? Oof. I don't know if I could pick one individual, but I would say like a lot, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the players just kind of just shape me as a whole that it's that, you know, that they they just they all influence me, not not one in particular. You mentioned your time with the White Sox. Uh, for fans that don't know, you jumped right in to coaching. Uh, you stepped off the field and into coaching. What have you learned the last few years in the White Sox organization as a coach in the minors? I would say a big one is is dealing with personalities. There's all different kinds of 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 personalities, 
And then I've, I got to coach a little bit in, in high A and then in double A and just kind of the stuff you're looking for in high A, you know, I think the biggest thing, you know, when you're at their lower levels is, is teaching guys to, you know, attack the zone, um, you know, and, and then there's more advanced guys that you could really, you know, dive into some other stuff. But when you get to double A, you know, you start, you're starting to have to deal with like pitch tipping because um, they're that much closer to the big leagues. So you're dealing with pitch tipping, um, you know, way more pitch design um, because, you know, some guys may not have enough sweep on their slider and, you know, they need that three or four more inches, you know, and, and the pitch just gets exponentially better. So you're working on that aspect. Um, but, you know, every, every season I felt like I grew more and more and more um, as, as the season went on, just more, more things come up and, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, point, you know, find the, find the problem and also find the solution to the problem. Like most people can find the problem, right? That's the easy part is figuring out the solution is, is, you know, it's it's a fun challenge to whatever the whatever the problem is. We're sitting with Danny Farquhar, former Mariner pitcher, now major league pitching strategist and assistant pitching coach. Hey, Mariner season will soon be here. Now's a great time to lock in your tickets for the biggest games this year, including opening day against the Red Sox, March twenty eighth, three day Julio Bobblehead giveaway, April first to third. Get your tickets at mariners.com. We'll come back more Danny Farquhar right after this. Hot stove continues. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. The 2-2 cutout and misses. He came in with a 76-mile-an-hour curveball. And for Danny Farquhar out of the bullpen, a 1-2-3 eighth inning. He gets Escobar with the hook. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Shannon Dreher here as we continue our conversation with the newest man on the Mariners coaching staff, Danny Farquhar. I look at you and your path and what you did in the majors 10th round pick you were up and down i think 11 times during your career and you carved out an excellent major league career and i look at a lot of guys in the mariners bullpen right now whether it's gabe spire or justin topa it's kind of similar paths what what can your path do along those lines to help guys solve problems when you've had to do that yourself in your major league career yeah of course i mean talking about the experiences you know like how many times I did go up and down, just being, being that, you know, empathetic coach that understands, you know, that aspect of the game where it's like, Hey man, we need a fresh arm or whatever the situation is. Um, just the, the experiences that I have, um, I should be able to, you know, communicate it and, and build that relationship with those guys. What intrigues you about this group that you're going to be with now? So the conversations that I've had with some of the coaches, they are, very all in on the analytics um, and just creating new stuff and just trying to get the most out of each pitcher. Um, that's, you know, that's kind of what I've been doing and it's, it's cool. It's a good group of guys and I can't wait to meet them in person and, and, and get this thing going. Back in your day, did you ever, ever have a guy come in, throw a couple of uh, two seamers in a bullpen and then take it into a game the <laughs> next week? <laughs> oh, like in the big leagues when I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I don't think I don't think guys would do pitches like that crazy um like they do now. Now it's one of those that it's like you throw a bullpen, this pitch, you know, you you see the metrics, you see the numbers, and you're like, this pitch is going to work. You can show the guy how great this pitch is gonna be, 
and then they buy in and then they just start using it. That is completely normal in this day and age um, when, when you're throwing aside and the pitch works. Um, no, no. Back when I was playing, it took, it was like a lot of bull, a lot of catch play, a lot of bullpens. And then like, you still like kind of questioned if the pitch was going to work. Now you have all the data to back, back it, that it's going to work. And then, you know, you throw one and it's successful. And then it just, you know, the confidence skyrockets from there. I had a conversation with Mark Lowe and I thought he explained it so well in that in his day, he would spend his off season, I don't know, working on a slider, working, working, working. He gets to spring training and as he put it, he's backing up third base because the guy's there. It just <laughs> didn't work, but you, you didn't know. But now you have the instant data to help help you down a path that you're not putting all this time and effort into something that's just not going to work. Yeah, no, it's, it's a huge it's, difference. It's so, so, so different. You know, like, like you said, you work on this one thing. I worked on a slider going into the 2018 season, worked on a slider, you know, finishing up the 2017 off season or 17 season, all the off season come into 2018. This pitch is ready. And it just got crushed uh, during spring training. I was like, okay, wasted a lot of time on that one. I was, I was with Mark. So hey, what are your, what are some of your best memories of time in the Seattle organization in that Seattle bullpen? You, you had some fun guys around you. <laughs> oh, we did. We, we're still in a group chat together. Uh, Joe Bimel, Dominic Leon, Charlie Furbush, Tom Wilhelmson and I, we, we still chat. Um, and it's, it's a group that like, you know, we, st and Joe, Joe's still, Joe's still training. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, I think he's in Texas now. He's still training. I think he's like, he's got to be pushing like 75, 80 years old by now. <laughs> um, but we, we love giving Joe a hard time. So that, I think that 2014, um, that bullpen, that dynamic um, holds a special place in my heart. Um, just because, man, we, we spent so much time together. We enjoyed each other's company and we're still, we're still friends. What do you remember about getting the call back up to the majors in 2013 with the Mariners? That was probably one of the most special days um, that I hold in my heart because, you know, I, I did play in the big leagues in 2011 uh, with the blue Jays, but it was one of those that it was like a September, a September call up. Hmm. Um, you know, not that that counts, but the, the may it was, I, I think it was like may 17th. I think, I don't know, but it was one of those where it was like, no, Danny, you are needed on this big league team. And then the fact that it was like, my wife was there. My daughter was there. I got the call. I ran out to her. Um, it was, it was pretty special. Um, just to have, to be able to have that opportunity um, again, to be back in the big leagues. Cause I wasn't on the 40 man. I played winter ball in Venezuela to try to get back on the map. So, you know, sometimes you really got to grind uh, through a situation to, to put yourself back out there. And I'll never forget that day going back up from going back up to the big leagues. And for fans that don't remember this, the Mariners got you for Ichiro. Yeah. <laughs> I, I joke and say that that was the Farquhar trade. Uh, yes. it, it was absolutely not the Farquhar trade. I was, I was like, uh, I was the back end uh, part of that deal, but 
I still I still like to call it the Farquhar trade jokingly. Well, in spring training, when you're both in a Mariners uniform now, we got to get a side-by-side pick of both of you. You're both back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, t- I had a picture with him. I was playing the Marlins, I think it was in 20, 2016 or 2017, uh, and Ichiro was there, and I got a picture. I got a picture with him, but we got to redo it now that we're both in a Mariners yeah. uniform. And you're both pitchers. Have you seen what he does in the offseason in Japan? I haven't. I haven't. I mean, I, kn- I know he has an unbelievable arm. Uh, and I, I heard he took like the best batting practice ever, um, but I've never got to, I never got to be his teammate. So is he, is he still throwing like 90? He pitches in some of the tournaments. If I've got this right against the girls teams and is- he throws like 130 pitches in these things and they're very competitive. Wow. But, uh, yeah. The videos are pretty good. <laughs> All right. I got to check it out. Danny, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since 2018 when we were all all terrified for what we saw, and then you're certainly with us in our thoughts and prayers. In 2018, when you had the aneurysm on the field, you came back, you pitched again in the minors after a year and change. What do you remember about that day and everything that followed? Yeah, so luckily for me, I so it's 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 a completely normal thing to have amnesia, like kind of backdating. Mm-hmm what happened so my last memory was just walking out to the bullpen what was that probably like two hours before my my aneurysm ruptured um and i have no memory of like three like three or four days after after the surgery nothing wow um so it's one of those things that i was very fortunate um to not have to go through that stuff definitely way tougher of a situation on my family you know not knowing if i'm going to survive not knowing you know how I'm going to be after the procedure. Cause it was definitely like the process after of it, after it was, it was like step-by-step, step. like slowly I had to learn how to talk slowly. I had to learn how to write slowly. Like my memories kept coming back. I, I do remember that aspect where it's like, I was, I was sitting next to my, my, my wife and I was, you know, I thought she was my girlfriend at the time, you know, cause it was like, the years were just coming back to me, coming back to me. And I looked at her and I was like, you're my wife and like lit up. And then she told me that we had kids and I was like, we have kids. And uh, she's like, yeah, we have three of them. And I just, you know, all the lights turning back on was pretty cool. But honestly, like my number one goal when it all came back, um, it probably helped me, you know, deal with all the trauma that was going on was just to get back to the baseball field. Like, I was just like, I just want to get back to baseball. I just want to get back to baseball. So I think having that one track mind that, you know, this isn't the end, like I'm going to keep going, mm-hmm. um, definitely helped me get through, you know, all the rough times, all the rough days. But, you know, it was one of those that the bleeding, the bleeding in the left side of the brain, um, it affected the right side of my body where I just didn't fire. My right side just wasn't firing as quickly um, as it needed to, to be in the big leagues. Like I was still, I was throwing upper eighties, um, which, which is great. You know, the, the training that I put in, like, I, I don't regret how much training I did. Like I have no regrets on, on trying to come back. Um, but my body just, it just wasn't the same. So, you know, so I did get to, I did have the opportunity to play a little bit, but, um, this day and age, if you are throwing in the upper 80s, because there's guys that throw in the big leagues in the upper 80s, you have to have 
you know, elite command and, and some nasty pitches. And that wasn't my strong suit. I was, I was kind of pitching. I was max effort, you know, mid nineties guy that, that I could throw to an area and be successful. So I needed the velocity and I, I just didn't have it. And I knew it was time to, to move on to coaching and, you know, and that's why I did that transition. After everything you went through though, you did make it to a professional mound again. What was that moment like after everything you went through to be back on a mound throwing the baseball? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I was, I was very thankful just to, you know, first to be alive. Like, you know, if you look, if you look at the statistics, like the odds were absolutely stacked against me. Um, The fact that I was, I was on a major league mound and I was in the ER and I think like 21 minutes, it was, it was incredible. The fact that I was in that situation definitely saved my life, but I wanted to get back to the big leagues because I don't have any memories of my last major league outing, right? No memories. There's video of it. Uh, I think the Astros hit me around a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I did have that goal to be back. And then the fact that I got to pitch a couple of times in AAA was, was cool. Um, but it was just, it was just time to move on just because it didn't, it didn't go so well. Well, Danny, it's going to be great to see you in uniform again when we get to spring training. It's number 40 available. Are you, are you slipping back the old number? Uh, I, I don't think they've given me a number yet, okay. but I, I don't really care what number it is. As long <laughs> as, you know, I'm, I'm back with Seattle, back in a big league uniform, you know, I'll wear, I'll wear whatever number. Speaking of the apparel, I hope your shoe game is good. I don't know if you've heard about this pitching group and this coaching group, but it's all about the shoes. Really? Uh, <laughs> So, so my shoe game is, is okay. Uh, I, I, I did accidentally order a pair of, uh, of the Griffey Aquamarines. So I, I've, I've had those for a couple of years now. It was one of those, like I, I put in a bid, like, like a relatively low bid, just kind of like whatever. And like three weeks later, it's just like, you have purchased these shoes. Uh, so I do have a pair, I do have a pair of Griffey's. So I might, I might be sporting those to keep up with the guys. <laughs> Wait till you see it. <laughs> uh, Danny, thanks for taking all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to see you in spring. Yes. Yes. Thank you guys. I appreciate this. There it is. The newest coach on the Mariners coaching staff, Danny Farquhar. And when it comes to Mariners season ticket plans, one size doesn't fit all flex memberships. Perfect for fans who want to choose their games and seats all season long. Reserved memberships designed for folks who want to lock in their favorite seats from the get-go. Learn more at Mariners.com slash 24. Well, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thanks for being with us. This one was jam-packed. Uh, special thanks to Brent Brown, who joined us earlier this hour. Frankie Thun Jr. gave us some insight on the international signing deadline. And also Cal Raleigh, who joined us at the beginning of the show. If you missed anything, of course, you can join us uh, on Mariners Pod and catch the show in its entirety coming up tomorrow. In the meantime, that's going to do it for Hot Stove tonight. We will talk to you same time next week.